You're listening to Teach Me Thy Statutes, a production of the Ephesus School Network. Blessed art thou, O Lord, teach me thy statutes. The company of the angels was amazed. Hi, this is Father Aaron Warwick with Jason Everett, and you are listening to the Teach Me Thy Statutes podcast, episode number 120. Today's reading is from Matthew chapter 6, verses 31 through 34, and chapter 7, verses 7 and 8. The Lord said, Do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things shall be yours as well. Therefore do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Let the day's own trouble be sufficient for the day. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds, and to him who knocks it will be opened. Father, there's uh, times in everyone's life that their stress and anxiety levels rise, and particularly right now, I think, is a period where uh, this is certainly true. So what should we take away from today's reading and apply it to our lives as we navigate some of the challenges that we're facing uh, both now and in the future? Yeah, good questions there, Jason, and something with which we all grapple at some point in our lives, and it's also something that really, for me, hits home quite personally. Why is that, Father? Well, a few years ago, I really had a crisis in my life. Various things happened that led me to realizing that I had struggled with an anxiety disorder and likely with obsessive compulsive disorder, even though I've never gone through the process of being officially diagnosed with that, but think I've struggled with it for most of my life. And in hindsight, I don't know why it took me so long to figure that out. But once I started to figure it out, my anxiety really started to spiral out of control. Well, I appreciate you opening up and sharing with us about that, Father. So uh, would you mind clarifying what you meant by spiraling out of control yeah yeah absolutely it's it's actually in my opinion as uh, somewhat of a public figure at least in the church community it's my responsibility i believe to to share about this because so many others struggle with it or with things like it and i don't think it's right for me to set myself up as though i'm some sort of an authority figure or a role model who doesn't struggle with these things who's above these things no i you know if i'm going to be a role model it should be a role model of repentance of admitting that I make mistakes, that I have shortcomings, that I face the difficulties in this life that all humans face to one degree or another. And then hopefully through that and and through our love and compassion for each other, we can help each other rise above that. So really, it's not only my responsibility, in my opinion, but my privilege to be able to share. So hopefully it helps others. Now, getting back to your question, what I mean by spiraling out of control is that my anxiety created more anxiety. It got to the point where I was anxious about being anxious. So, you know, anxiety is a normal human feeling. In fact, it's a really good thing that we have anxiety because it keeps us from doing dangerous and stupid things, although I still did some of those in my teenage years, as I'm sure many can relate to. But the goal of dealing properly with anxiety is is not to make us sterile, not to make us so that we never have anxiety, but so that our anxiety would not be disordered. And what I mean by that is simple. If you're a student and you have a big test, it's normal to be a little bit anxious about that. If you're getting ready to travel on a big trip, it's normal to be 
anxious about that. But when you are anxious about being anxious or you're anxious and there's no identifiable reason, then you know it's a problem and something that needs to be dealt with. Yeah, again, thanks for being open with us, Father, and, and sharing this about yourself. So what is, um, what's the best way to deal with anxiety, in your opinion, and, and maybe more specifically with an anxiety disorder? Yeah, those are two different things, as you kind of noted there. So let's take a step back and clarify, and, and we can start by discussing uh, dealing with anxiety disorder. We can talk about that, and then I think we can talk uh, about those who do not have this disorder, as well as those who uh, have it but it's now under control and how we can and should deal with normal anxiety. Good. That sounds like a plan. So maybe let's begin with uh, anxiety disorders and, and how to deal with them. All right. So the first thing I want to state is that many people make what I believe is a mistake, a big mistake, that an anxiety disorder is only a spiritual problem. And why do you think that that's a mistake? Well, in my understanding of Scripture and is also our Orthodox theology, in both cases, there's a holistic understanding of the human being. And I think too often we try to divide up the human being into these categories, into spiritual and material, or spiritual and physical. And obviously we can talk about those different aspects of a human being. That's why our language reflects the difference between these things, and we have these different words for them. But ultimately, we need to understand that these two intermingle and interact. So let me give an analogy. Husband and wife, you can speak about me, and you can speak about my wife, two different and unique people. But after 20 plus years of marriage and four children and our ministry and, and her job and so forth, you cannot possibly speak about me or my wife without understanding us as part of a complete holistic unit. It's just impossible to understand us as individuals without understanding us as a whole, as a married couple. I really like that analogy, and, and I can certainly relate to it. So how does that apply to what you're saying about anxiety disorders and the holistic understanding of a human being who is both spiritual and material? Well, I think it's accurate to say that anxiety disorders are a spiritual problem, but you know, very important clarification and distinction. So everyone listening, please hear me out on this. So anxiety disorders are a spiritual issue, but they're not a direct spiritual problem. And what I mean by that is that a person does not have an anxiety disorder because of their own personal sin. It's not because they did something wrong spiritually and therefore they suffer. So what I'm saying is that in this disordered world, a world that is disordered, we say, because of the collective human sin. In this world, we have these types of problems. So please understand that I'm not saying that I or you out there who struggle with an anxiety disorder are at fault for having that disorder. It doesn't work that way, but it's part of the collective human problem. We may struggle with anxiety while others struggle with other issues. So don't blame yourself or think that you can fix that problem by praying more, going to church more, etc., without doing other things that are necessary. So the, these things can help, praying more, going to church, and so forth, but often they're not enough because a true anxiety disorder is also material. And again, we humans are not simply spiritual beings. We're also physical and material. Right, right. So maybe uh, speak more to that side of things, the physical and, and material aspects of anxiety disorders. 
Yeah, so the name sort of gives it away, right? I mean, anxiety disorder. So there's something in the body, in this case, most especially in the physiology of the brain, that is off, that's, that's disordered. And when that happens, there are two approaches that have been found to be helpful, of which I'm aware. But in both of these cases, it's a recognition that there is a material physical problem going on. And I really think this is important to highlight. It's something I learned from my wife many years ago as uh, she's been practicing medicine as a nurse and a nurse practitioner, and that is that the brain is an organ. So we often uh, think of the brain as something more spiritual, more immaterial, but ultimately it's an organ and a body part as well. And because uh, we think of it more abstractly, uh, we often treat it or think about it differently than we do other body parts or other organs. And, and what do you mean by that, uh, Father, the treating it differently? Okay, so, you know, let's give another example. Uh, my wife uh, first taught me this, so will give her credit for that. But So let's say that you see someone with a broken leg, okay? That person is on crutches, perhaps even in a wheelchair, depending on the situations. But no one in their right mind is going to hand that person in, on crutches or in a wheelchair a basketball and tell them, hey, why don't you go up and dunk this basketball, okay? We realize that's not going to happen. So they, they, they can't do that. There's a physical limitation. And if you think someone can overcome that, that they can just will their way through it, think their way through it, then we all recognize that, that you're insane. So there's nothing wrong with the person who can't dunk that basketball other than that their leg isn't functioning correctly because it's broken. But no one is judging their moral character or their willpower because of that limitation. In fact, quite the opposite. What we're doing is addressing that underlying physical material problem so the person can be restored. Now think about how we so often deal with mental illness and disorders. It's different. We usually deal with them quite differently. We think that a person whose physiology is disordered so that their brain is not operating ideally should somehow power through it. They should work harder. They should pray more. And in essence, that although they have the equivalent of that broken leg, they should still be able to dunk the basketball. And obviously, you know, we think through this example, we can see the silliness, if not the pure insanity. And in thinking that way, we need to understand the person with the anxiety disorder does not struggle with that disorder because they have a direct moral or spiritual problem. They struggle with it because they have an organ, a body part that is not working ideally. Well, I have to, uh, to thank uh, Coria Gwen for that analogy, uh, Father. <laughs> I think it's really helpful, and I appreciate you sharing that with us. I'm hoping that you can elaborate on uh, what you said earlier are the two things that you believe can best help someone who's struggling with an anxiety disorder. Well, I can tell you through my own research as well as my lived experience with this issue that the evidence is extremely persuasive that, at least to me, that the best way to deal with it is a combination of medicine to help the physiological aspect and learning cognitive behaviors that help you really, I would say, in a spiritual way. Uh, so for me, I can tell you that, that I did not first turn to medicine. In fact, in some ways, my inclination was to be opposed to it, thinking now, incorrectly, I might add, that it shows weakness or deficiency or was taking the easy way out. So I really uh, studied cognitive techniques, how to try to change the way that you think, and basically to learn to reason with yourself and to retrain the brain. I spoke with trained therapists and doctors, and ultimately for me these things helped, but then I was so tired uh, by the end of the day working so hard on these techniques. 
and I just couldn't do much else besides that. And, and so that's when I ultimately decided to try some medication that healthcare professionals advised and, and I did I tried and, and used under their supervision, of course. And for me, ultimately, I realized that not doing that, that, that staying away from what the healthcare professionals advised uh, was in fact my greatest sin and is the greatest sin for any of us human beings. It was the sin of pride. So I had to humble myself. I had to realize that my biggest disorder was not anxiety. My biggest disorder was that deep sense of pride that I could overcome the physical and material limits of this world uh, that God created and, and of my own body. So admitting that, accepting that, submitting to those wiser than me in this area was actually the most freeing thing that I did and addressed the source of my main spiritual problem, which again was was pride. Well, Father, I, uh, I again want to say thank you and appreciate that you shared those things with us. And I do want to uh, get to dealing with anxiety for those who do not have an anxiety disorder. But before doing that, um, I think I'll summarize what you shared here as it relates to having an anxiety disorder and then understanding that as a Christian. My understanding of what you said is that a person struggling with an anxiety disorder is someone who experiences anxiety when there's nothing identifiable uh, to be anxious about, and that it often manifests itself as being anxious uh, about being anxious. And you further shared that we should understand that those who suffer from this disorder don't struggle with it because of their own personal sin, but rather it's part of something that we experience as humans in this fallen world. While you may struggle with an anxiety disorder, I may have my own struggles and my own disorders or limitations that, that manifest in my life. And then you shared that we should understand there is a, a physical material or even a, a physiological component to an anxiety disorder. And consequently, people with, uh, with a disorder like this would be wise to seek out help from healthcare professionals who are trained to deal with that specifically. And that often a combination of medicine and cognitive uh, behavioral training is, is best to help with the disorder. And then lastly, you mentioned uh, that perhaps the, the main spiritual problem with someone with an anxiety disorder is overcoming their pride, which you noted is the worst and chief sin of human beings. Do you think that's uh, an accurate summary of what you just discussed here? Yeah, absolutely. I appreciate that that summary. Um, I think that's good for our audience. And one other thing that I want to note, I actually struggled most of my life with uh, various sins, various compulsions, you might say, um, you know, that I just was not doing a good job of, of overcoming, that I, you know, constantly found myself confessing uh, those um, to my father confessor, and it, but still struggled with them that have either disappeared or been significantly minimized since I humbled myself and submitted to proper medical treatment. So I want to underscore that point, but it's contrary to what we often think. And specifically, we often think that perhaps our sins are what lead directly to our disorder. And I think it's it, sometimes it's backwards. What often is the case is that our disorder leads to these bad behaviors and makes us more inclined to sin. So I think this underscores the holistic approach that we should have to dealing with the human being and that taking care of a physical problem may actually help us significantly from a spiritual standpoint to progress in our spiritual lives. Okay, so I think this might be a good time to move on to uh, dealing with anxiety that is, is normal to us as human beings 
meaning that it's not a disorder, but just a part of our, our normal experience. So what can you say about that, Father, especially as it relates to today's passage? Yeah, so really quickly, let me say that I now think we, we should be clear. Now we are talking not only about normal anxiety, but also then towards people like myself. As I noted, I have an anxiety disorder, but because i am been treating it properly, it's no longer something that defines me or dominates my life. So for anyone like myself with a disorder that is being treated and is under control, we're still going to have these normal human experiences of anxiety. So I'm speaking to people uh, that have this under control, meaning to those with it, with, uh, to those without a disorder, or to people like myself who still struggle with and, and must deal with anxiety, but not from such an overwhelming position. And in these circumstances, it really is primarily a spiritual issue. So by no means do I want to minimize that. And how so, Father? I think you can see from today's passage that Jesus is talking about some things that are not related so narrowly to anxiety as we've been talking about so far on this podcast. Instead, what Jesus is talking about is us becoming anxious about things because we want too much control or because we're greedy or because we care too much about mammon, about the things of this world. And I know for me, from a spiritual standpoint, learning that so much of the Bible is is about teaching us to quit trying to control every little thing. It's been a game-changing experience. So you see, we human beings tend to be extremely possessive. And I remember uh, for the first time reading the Desert Fathers and realizing how much they emphasize non-possessiveness and then recognizing uh, that wasn't an aspect of Christianity. I'd really been taught this this uh, stress on non-possessiveness. And then when I was at seminary, uh, especially studying under Father Paul Tarazi, I realized how biblical this theme is, how it actually is one of the main themes throughout Scripture, this notion of giving up, trying to possess and control and manipulate everything. And as they say in AA, I love this saying, let go and let God. You know, easy to say, not so easy to do. But if you do it, you'll find yourself so much less possessive and with so much less anxiety about the things of this world. Well, that that all sounds great. And I absolutely believe what you said is true. Uh, But as you noted, it's easier said than done. So how do we start to practice that? How do we learn to be less possessive and to give up control? Yeah, yeah. So the first step is just recognizing it's a problem, right? I mean, if we don't realize that we have a problem, we can't even begin to address it. So like I said, reading the Desert Fathers was the first time for me that I really had any understanding that possessiveness and control is a problem. So again, knowing that it's a problem, being aware to look for how it rears its creepy head is at least half the battle. So those listening to our podcast, if you recognize that's a problem now, you're much better off. Uh, And to that end, and also to help with putting this into practice, let me share a couple of stories or or things that have helped me. So the first is from the Desert Fathers, and I apologize, but I don't remember the precise details uh, nor even the name of of the Desert Father with whom this story happened. But here's the gist of it. This highly respected father was, was walking out in the middle of nowhere with one of his disciples. The disciples found a coin laying on the ground that wasn't worth much, but the disciple picked it up. And put it into his pocket. And then the old man questioned his disciple. He said, was that your coin that you dropped and put back into your pocket? And the disciple said, no, I found it on the ground. And then so the elder said, well, if it didn't belong to you, why did you take it? You should have just left it there on the road in case the owner came back to find it. And the disciple in shame uh, put it back. So this coin was worth very little. Uh, So the disciple thought, you know, no big deal. I'm sure no one's going to come back to claim it. You know, think like 
in our own uh, day and age, like a nickel or a dime. But unlikely anyone's going to come back and search for that if they, if they dropped it in the desert. But this desert father was making a much greater point, and that point is that even in something this little, something that's seemingly inconsequential, you can train yourself to behave properly so that you can act appropriately in the bigger things. And that bigger lesson is to not care a bit about things that don't belong to you or to view something unclaimed as your own. Just let it be. I think that's a very helpful example, and it it seems like it can be applied to so many different things, uh, certainly to things like not coveting or desiring someone's money or good fortune, uh, but also to things we recognize as sinful, such as what the Bible teaches about lust, not desiring after someone else's husband or wife, or, or even someone perhaps who is single but is not ours, is not married to us. It seems like there's so many applications. Yeah, exactly, and that's why it's so important to have this frame of mind and why I say that just having that is half the battle because then you can start to see how to apply uh, to many different situations in our lives. What are some of the other examples of things that we can do to help us with giving up control, giving up our possessiveness, which, as you noted, so often leads to our anxieties? Yeah, several practical things that we can do in in this season of uh, fasting or in other seasons of fasting. We can submit to the limitations of our diet that the church asks of us when we're trying to make rather inconsequential decisions. For example, where we should go out to eat. We can ask others for their preference and submit to their choice rather than enforcing our own will about where we go. All sorts of little things like that can lead to us learning to give up control and give up our anxieties. And I want to conclude this part of our discussion by referring to a shirt I saw the other day online, which I I just, I loved it. The shirt said, what if everything turns out okay? And for someone who has struggled with anxiety, this is a, a beautiful saying. So what if everything turns out okay? Because so much of our anxiety is about the what ifs. And Jesus addressed that today by speaking about us worrying about tomorrow, about things ahead of us. The best thing we can do is to learn to give up trying to control and manipulate things and, and to then see that somehow, some way, the world continues to spin on its axis without us micromanaging every last detail. What if everything turns out okay? When I find myself becoming anxious or worrying about something, I've started asking myself that question. What if everything turns out okay? Just another way of saying I'm not in control. I don't need to be in control. God is in control. Father, we've gone much longer than we normally do today, and I think it was worthwhile, and I hope our listeners benefit from our discussion. Uh, But I, I think it's important to ask one other question I had about today's reading because I think there can easily be misunderstanding or or bad teaching around it. Specifically in chapter 7, verses 7 and 8, we read, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds. And to him who knocks, it will be opened. I've heard these verses very poorly applied in the past, using this passage to make God out to be our our own personal genie of sorts. And of course, this is foolishness. Uh, So would you explain to us, Father, what Jesus is actually illustrating here? 
Yeah, well, I think you used the perfect word for that kind of teaching, foolishness. Uh, worse yet, it's it can just be flat-out deception, but we will assume the best and, and assume anyone thinking that way is uh, simply been fooled. And, and I say it's foolish because all you have to do is, is look at the context of this passage from, from which you read. That's usually your answer to anything that people twist in the Bible. Just look at the context and you'll see it's mistaken. And in this case, Jesus was simply teaching and highlighting that we should not be overly concerned or anxious about what we're going to eat and drink tomorrow or what we're going to wear. Instead, he instructs us to focus on living according to his teaching, to seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And then after that, he assures us, if we do that, that God will take care of our very basic material needs. So in other words, Jesus is not saying that he's going to enrich us or give us whatever we want. As you said it well, he's not saying he's going to be our personal genie and answer every ridiculous request that we might have. What he's clearly saying within this context is that God will take care of our basic needs of food, shelter, and clothing, so not to worry excessively about those things. But any use of this passage to teach that God will enrich us or give us an abundance beyond what we need is clearly misrepresenting what Jesus is saying here and then obviously throughout the rest of the Gospels as well. Thank you, Father. Today's reading led us into a discussion about anxiety in general as well as anxiety disorders. Father Aaron shared with us his own story and what conclusions he's drawn from his own experience. With regard to anxiety disorders specifically, it was stressed that this is not directly a spiritual problem, and certainly it is not the result of anyone's personal sin. There is a physical aspect at play here, as humans are not simply spiritual beings. And while this physical aspect of the body, in this case the brain, is disordered, we often treat this disorder as something separate and unique from the rest of our body. It was helpful to hear an example of someone with a broken leg and on crutches, and the fact that we would never expect that person to dunk a basketball in their condition. Furthermore, we would never judge their moral character or their willpower because of their inability to dunk the basketball with a broken leg. But this is precisely what we often do when faced with anxiety disorders. So how do we effectively address this issue? Father offered a twofold approach that includes both medication and the learning and application of cognitive behaviors. We must be careful here not to fall into the worst and chief sin of pride, believing that we can overcome this challenge without assistance and guidance from those who are qualified to help us. Taking this holistic approach will allow healing from a physical aspect, which then allows for healing in our spiritual lives. We then discussed anxiety in more general terms, which is simply a part of our human condition. Here, anxiety is primarily a spiritual issue, and in today's reading, Jesus is addressing us becoming anxious about things because we want too much control. Throughout Scripture, we see numerous examples of non-possessiveness and giving up our tendency to be in control in all things and at all times. In order to bring about changes to our behavior, we must first recognize in ourselves that this problem exists so that we can then change our habits and more fully submit to God's will rather than our own. Thank you for listening to Teach Me Thy Statutes. We hope you tune in next week for a new episode. Hallelujah, hallelujah.
Alleluia, glory to thee, O God. Alleluia, 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 glory to thee, O God. 